Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So what did Facebook know and when did they know it? Isn't that the question? Isn't the question, did they know that their product, Instagram, was harming young children? Is the data accurate from this whistleblower or is it all just a big hot mess? For Congress, the facts are secondary to a more primary conversation, which is how in the world can we use this to our advantage? Tony Katz, Tony Katz, today it is so good to be with you. I wanted to make sure that you got every piece of this. I know I've shared it. I want to share it with you. The hearing that took place in the Senate regarding this whistleblower her name is Frances Haugen, H-A-U-G-E-N, former product manager on Facebook's civic misinformation team. And she revealed herself as the source behind leaked documents. She was the one who gave the interview for six to 60 minutes. The, it got uh, leaked uh, to the Wall Street Journal and to Congress. And what she is saying is that she, quote, became increasingly alarmed by the choices the company makes prioritizing their own profits over public safety, putting people's lives at risk. That's what's on her website. As a last resort at great personal risk, Francis made the courageous act to blow the whistle on Facebook. I don't think you should put that on your own website. It was imperative that I, that I share this information is what, is what you put. There's a little bit of self-serving within that. There, there just is. The question before us is, do the documents indeed show that the use of Instagram leads to an increase in suicidal thoughts? And if it does, wouldn't the proper argument be wouldn't the argument be there should be a warning? Shouldn't the argument be that if this does increase X, people should know about it. And if you indeed hid those results, what does that say about you? What does it say about the company? What does it say about the leadership? Now, part of this is problematic. And the problematic part of this goes as follows. Whose fault is it really? Facebook's or the child's? I say Facebook is the all-encompassing because Facebook owns Instagram and Facebook owns uh, the app WhatsApp. Whose fault is it? Facebook's or the parents who don't monitor what their children are doing on social media? This is a very large, heavy, deep, detailed conversation. And it's the conversation, no different, by the way, the conversation that happens in Congress than the conversation you have over the kitchen table or the conversation you're having at the bar stool. No different. The question before us is a level of responsibility. I'm a guy who believes in personal responsibility. And I am someone who believes, based on their own experiences with depression and being suicidal, others don't make you suicidal, you make you suicidal. It's on you. My experiences, I, I don't wish them on anybody, but it happens, being depressed, being suicidal. By the way, the, the uh, hotline, suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. If you ever, ever need the number, make the call. I never had to make that call. I just 
didn't even think about making the call. Feel free. I mean, don't just do what you must. Ha- make the phone call, 800-273-8255. So this is a conversation we all get to be a part of. If there was data and Facebook hid that data, Facebook is going to have some problems. The p- biggest problem comes from Congress because Congress is looking for a moment looking for an opportunity. They want to find ways to break up Facebook, to go at Facebook for not doing, well, their bidding. doesn't matter if you're on the right or on the left, you've got reasons to be angry at social media. People see social media as this, this enemy. And I'm not arguing that it isn't. I'm arguing in many ways that it is, that it is an enemy. But now... You're giving Congress through this, if any of this is legit, you're giving Congress the moment. You're giving them the moment to say, to protect the lives of our children. Oh, just remember, when they do things, you know, for the children, you are screwed. That's what it means. When it's for the children, you are getting blanked in the blank by the blank over a blank. That's what's happening. I oppose this. Doesn't mean I'm going to be able to stop this. Congress doesn't know what Facebook does. They don't know what Amazon does. They don't understand what Oracle does. They sure as bloody heck don't know what Google, Alphabet, and and Toto does. They don't know what these companies are or about. They don't understand how, how far they reach. None of it. But they understand... Without question, they understand. They understand that when you get to this, this moment of children may be at risk, they can act. They may not understand how a search works. They may not understand how all the servers work. They, as you saw from Senator Richard Blumenthal yesterday, uh, will you, will you uh, commit to getting rid of Finsta? Um, Well, Finsta is really a term used by people um, regarding other Instagram accounts. Yes, but it's one of your apps. No, no, it's it's slang, which refers to a fake Instagram account. Richard Blumenthal actually thought it was an app. A Finsta is a fake Instagram account. He doesn't know what he's talking about. How in the bloody world does he break this stuff up? He doesn't. He can't. They can't do it. Because they don't understand the technology. But tell them children are at risk. Oh, now all of a sudden they can do things. Now all of a sudden they can do things. So there are some opening statements from Senator Richard Blumenthal, who chairs the committee, from Senator Marsha Blackburn, who's the ranking member. Then we're going to hear from the whistleblower. I want to bring it to you. I will do that to the best of my ability, as full as we can. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. and trans so the commerce committee they are in session there in the senate senator blackburn marshall blackburn tennessee already speaking saying the mothers are very interested in what's going on with facebook and this whistleblower francis hogan or is it haugen And once you start bringing up moms, well, then you understand where Congress is going to go.
You understand how personal they can make this in this conversation, in this question of what is Facebook doing, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp, and whether or not our children are safe. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. So you've got uh, Richard Blumenthal there. You've got Marsha Blackburn. You've got Roger Wicker there, Senator from Mississippi, Republican. Let's hear now from Francis Haugen, who is this whistleblower, used to work at Facebook, went on 60 Minutes, gave documents to the Wall Street Journal. What is it that she saw? Members of the subcommittee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you. My name is Francis Haugen. I used to work at Facebook. I joined Facebook because I think Facebook has the potential to bring out the best in us. But I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Yesterday, we saw Facebook get taken off the internet. I don't know why I went down, but I know that for more than five hours, Facebook wasn't used to deepen divides, destabilize democracies, and make young girls and women feel bad about their bodies. It also means that millions of small businesses weren't able to reach potential customers, and countless photos of new babies weren't joyously celebrated by family and friends around the world. I believe in the potential of Facebook. We can have social media we enjoy, that connects us without tearing our apart our democracy, putting our children in danger, and sowing ethnic violence around the world. We can do better. I have worked as a product manager at large tech companies since 2006, including Google, Pinterest, Yelp, and Facebook. My job has largely focused on algorithmic products like Google Plus Search and recommendation systems like the one that powers the Facebook newsfeed. Having worked on four different types of social networks, I understand how complex and nuanced these problems are. However, the choices being made inside of Facebook are disastrous for our children, for our public safety, for our privacy, and for our democracy. And that is why we must demand Facebook make changes. During my time at Facebook, first working as the lead product manager for civic misinformation, and later on counter-espionage, I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. In some cases, this, this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence that harms and even kills people. This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable, or about one side being radicalized against the other. It is about Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion dollar company by buying its profits with our safety. During my time at Facebook, I came to realize a devastating truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the US government, and from governments around the world. The documents I have provided to Congress prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. 
I came forward because I believe that every human being deserves the dignity of the truth. The severity of this crisis demands that we break out of our previous regulatory frames. Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, these will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive choices made by Facebook except Facebook. We can afford nothing less than full transparency. As long as Facebook is operating in the shadows, hiding its research from public scrutiny, it is unaccountable. Until the incentives change, Facebook will not change. Left alone, Facebook will continue to make choices that go against the common good, our common good. When we realized big tobacco was hiding the harms it caused, the government took action. When we figured out cars were safer with seatbelts, the government took action. And when our government learned that opioids were taking lives, the government took action. I implore you to do the same here. Today, Facebook shapes our perception of the world by choosing the information we see. Even those who don't use Facebook are impacted by the majority who do. A company with such frightening influence over so many people, over their deepest thoughts, feelings, and behavior, needs real oversight. But Facebook's closed design means it has no real oversight. Only Facebook knows how it personalizes your feed for you. At other large tech companies like Google, any independent researcher can download from the internet the company's search results and write papers about what they find. And they do. But Facebook hides behind walls that keeps researchers and regulators from understanding the true dynamics of their system. Facebook will tell you privacy means they can't give you data. This is not true. When tobacco companies claimed that filtered cigarettes were safer for consumers, scientists could independently invalidate these marketing messages and confirm that, in fact, they posed a greater threat to human health. The public cannot do the same with Facebook. We are given no other option than to take their marketing messages on blind faith. Not only does the company hide most of its own data, my disclosure has proved that when Facebook is directly asked questions as important as how do you impact the health and safety of our children, they mislead and they, uh, uh, they choose to mislead and misdirect. Facebook has not earned our blind faith. This inability to see into Facebook's actual systems and confirm how they work is communicated and work as com and confirm that they work as communicated is like the Department of Transportation regulating cars by only watching them drive down the highway. Today, no regulator has a menu of solutions for how to fix Facebook, because Facebook didn't want them to know enough about what's causing the problems. Otherwise, they wouldn't, otherwise there wouldn't have been need for a whistleblower. How is the public supposed to assess if Facebook is resolving conflicts of interest in a way that is aligned with the public good if the public has no visibility into how Facebook operates? This must change. Facebook wants you to believe that the problems we're talking about are unsolvable. They want you to believe in false choices. They want you to believe that you must choose between a Facebook full of divisive and extreme content or losing one of the most important values our country was founded upon, free speech. That you must choose between public oversight of Facebook's choices and your personal privacy. 
that to be able to share fun photos of your kids with old friends, you must also be inundated with anger-driven virality. They want you to believe that this is just part of the deal. I am here today to tell you that's not true. These problems are solvable. A safer, free speech respecting, more enjoyable social media is possible. But there's one thing that I hope everyone takes away from these disclosures. It is that Facebook can change, but is clearly not going to do so on its own. My fear is that without action, divisive and extremist behaviors we see today are only the beginning. What we saw in Myanmar and are now seeing in Ethiopia are only the opening chapters of a story so terrifying, no one wants to read the end of it. Congress can change the rules that Facebook plays by and stop the many harms it is now causing. We now know the truth about Facebook's destructive impact. I really appreciate the seriousness which the members of Congress and the Securities and Exchange Commission are approaching these issues. I came forward at great personal risk because I believe we still have time to act. So that's Frances Haugen, former Facebook product manager, the whistleblower. What does she actually have in terms of the documents? What can actually can she actually say and point to? What she's pointed to so far is that fa- is that Facebook can they don't. Facebook could they won't. Google can do this and this one can do that and these groups are better, but Facebook won't do it. That's what she's saying in this opening. Now, how will she answer the questions about what it is Facebook knows and didn't know? What have they hid will be the top line subject. And that's the part I'm listening for. Will she address that Facebook hid this piece of information, this piece of data, proactively told Congress we could not do this when they absolutely could do something? That is the question that has to be asked. And if that is not being asked, well, then what's the, what's the point of all this? Congress to show anger? Congress to show how, how tough guy they are? No, 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 no. What you, as these members of Congress, have to do is be able to say, aha, uh-huh, our kids are at risk, and we now know that Mark Zuckerberg is duplicitous. We're going to act. Because Congress desperately wants to act, and secretly the social media groups want Congress to act. They're not going to be proactive. They're going to be totally reactive. Well, we're doing this because Congress said so. See, uh, stockholder, you can't get mad at us. Now let's just go keep about making money, won't we? We're going to get more into the Q&A with this whistleblower and whether or not she's actually blowing any whistles. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So what does the Facebook whistleblower have to say for herself? And by the way, that's not accusatory. I'm actually curious. What will she be able to do to prove to Congress, to this committee, Commerce Committee, and you've got uh, Richard Blumenthal there from one of the subcommittees. You know, he's a guy who lied about his Vietnam service. But there he is. There he is. The subcommittee on consumer protection, product safety, and data security is what he heads up. What is it that Facebook has known about its services, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp? 
and as hidden. And was there ever a moment where they answered a question for Congress where they actually knew the answer was something else? These are the questions before us. And the reason I want to share so much of it and I want to listen is because this is about our families and our lives. What Congress does here matters. And maybe for a lot of people, you got to understand what Facebook is all about. So you're the one being more proactive. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Right now, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut is asking questions of Francis Haugen. Haugen, sorry. Former Facebook product manager. Let's get to the Q&A. It's as though she couldn't mention Mark Zuckerberg's name. Isn't he the one who will be making this decision from your experience in the company? Mark holds a very unique role in uh, the tech industry in that he holds uh, over 55% of all the voting shares for Facebook. Um, There are no similarly powerful companies that are as uh, unilaterally controlled. Um, And in, in the end, the buck stops with Mark. There is no one currently holding Mark accountable but himself. And Mark Zuckerberg, in effect, is the algorithm designer-in-chief, correct? Um, uh, I received an MBA from Harvard, and they emphasized to us that we are responsible for the organizations that we build. Um, Mark has built an organization that is very metrics-driven. That is, in, It is intended to be flat. There is no unilateral responsibility. The metrics make the decision. Unfortunately, that itself is a decision. And in the end, if he is the CEO and the chairman of Facebook, he is responsible for those decisions. The buck stops with him. It, the buck stops with him. Uh, and speaking of the buck stopping, uh, you have said that Facebook should declare moral bankruptcy. I agree. Yeah. I think uh, it's, its actions and its failure to acknowledge its responsibility indicate moral bankruptcy. There is a cycle occurring inside the company where Facebook has struggled for a long time to recruit and retain the number of employees it needs to tackle the large scope of projects that it has chosen to take on. Facebook is stuck in a cycle where it struggles to to hire. Um, That causes it to understaff projects, which causes scandals, which then makes it harder to hire. Part of why Facebook needs to come out and say, we did something wrong. We made some choices that we regret is the only way we can move forward. This is the wrong line of questioning. If you want to make the argument that the buck stops with Mark Zuckerberg, go right ahead. Any CEO will say the buck stops with them. You want to make an argument that, that Mark Zuckerberg is morally bereft? Well, stand in line. All of America's been making that argument for years now. This is nothing new. You're going you're gonna to sit there on sanctimony? Richard Blumenthal, no wonder you're terrible. Ask the question, did Facebook hide data? That's the only thing that matters. Did Facebook hide what they knew? Did they lie to Congress? Do you have proof of such things? What does your data tell you? Show it to us and walk us down the path. Mark Zuckerberg's a bad guy? No crap. Censoring things on Facebook while building a wall around his compound in Hawaii. Yes, he's a bad dude. I don't know why so many of these tech guys are bad guys, but they are. But this is the wrong line of questioning, cats. I mean, not me, cats. You guys, cats. Crazy cats. You know what I meant. Cool, daddy-o. Let's get back to the hearing. Counteract those same remedies. Um, So I do think it's a thing of there are organizational problems that need oversight and Facebook needs help in order to move forward to a more healthy place. 
and whether it's teens bullied into mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts or the genocide of ethnic minorities in uh, Myanmar or fanning the flames of division within our own country or in Europe, they are ultimately responsible for the immorality of the pain that's caused. Facebook needs to take responsibility for the consequences of its choices. Um, it needs to be willing to accept small trade-offs on profit. And I think, I think just that act of being to, able to admit that it's a mixed bag is important. And I think that what we saw from Antigone uh, last week is an example of the kind of behavior we need to support Facebook and growing out of, which is instead now of Now she's the one failing. The good they do, Nobody cares if you think they should take a profit or not, or they should lower their profits. That's not the argument or the conversation or the question here. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Don't you worry about the profits. Engage the answers so we can make decisions. That's what you should be doing. Don't throw yourself into it like that. You've already thrown yourself into it. Now show us the data. Man, they are, they are 0 for 2 in the early questioning. Let's send it back. Losers. And she had made the comment, I'm going to quote from her testimony, if we find an account of someone who's under 13, we remove them. In the last three months, we removed 600,000 accounts of under 13-year-olds, end quote. And I have to tell you, it seems to me that there's a problem if you have 600,000 accounts from children who ought not to be there in the first place. So what did Mark Zuckerberg know about Facebook's plans to bring kids on as new users and advertise to them? Uh, there are reports within Facebook that show cohort analyses where they, they examine at what ages do people join Facebook and Instagram. And based on those cohort analyses, um, so Facebook likes to say children lie about their ages to get onto the platform. Mm -hmm. The reality is enough kids tell the truth that you can work backwards to figure out what are approximately the real ages of anyone who's on the platform. Um, when Facebook does cohort analyses and looks back retrospectively, it discovers things like you know, up to 10 to 15% of even 10-year-olds in a given cohort may be on Facebook or Instagram. Um, okay, so this is why Adam Masseri, who's the CEO of Instagram, would have replied to Jojo Siwa when she said to him, oh, I've been on Instagram since I was eight, he said he didn't want to know that. Ah, yeah. So it would be for this reason, correct? Um, a, a pattern of behavior that I saw at Facebook was that often problems were so understaffed that there was uh, kind of an implicit discouragement from having better detection systems. So okay. for example, I worked, uh, my last team at Facebook was on the counter espionage team within the threat intelligence org. And at any given time, our team could only handle a third of the cases that we knew about. Okay. We knew that if we built even a basic detector, we would likely have many more cases. Okay, then let Similarly, me ask you. Oh, sure. yeah. yeah, let me ask yeah. you this. So you look at the way that they have yeah. the data, but they're choosing to keep that data and advertise yeah. from it, right? Mm -hmm. You sell it to third parties. Mm -hmm. So what does Facebook do? You've got these 600,000 accounts that ought not to be on there. Mm -hmm. Probably and more. 
-hmm. and right. Yeah. But then you delete those accounts. But what happens to that data? Does mm. Facebook keep that data? Mm. Do they keep it until those children go to age 13? Since, as you're saying, they can work mm. backward and fi figure out the true age of a, a user. So what do they do with it? Do they delete it? Do they store it? Do they keep it? How do they process that? Um, I am... My understanding of Facebook's data retention policies, and I want to be really clear, I didn't work directly on that, is that they delete, when they delete an account, they delete all the data within, I believe, 90 okay. days in compliance with GDPR. Um, I, with regard to children underage on the platform, Facebook would do substantially more to detect more of those children, and they should have to publish for Congress those processes because there are lots of subtleties in those things, and they could be much more effective than probably what they're doing today. Got it. Now, staying with this underage children, since this yeah. hearing is all about kids and about online privacy, I want you to tell me how Facebook is able to do market research mm. on these children that are under age 13. Because Mrs. Davis was really, um, she didn't deny this last week. So how are they doing this? Do they uh, bring kids into focus groups with their parents? How do they get that permission? She said they got permission from parents. Is there a permission slip mm. or a form that gets signed? And then how do they know which kids to target? Um. There's a bunch to unpack there. Uh, we'll start yeah. with maybe how did they recruit children for focus groups um, or recruit, recruit teenagers. Um, most tech companies have systems where they can um, analyze the data that is on their servers. So I, m most of the focus groups I read uh, or that I saw analysis of were around messenger kids, which has children on it. Um, and those focus groups appear to be children interacting in person. Um, Often, large tech companies use either sourcing agencies that will go and identify people who meet certain demographic criteria, or they will reach out directly based on uh, data on the platform. So for example, on the case of Messenger Kids, maybe you would want to study a child that was an active user and one that was a less active user. You might reach out to some that came from each population. And so these are children that are under age 13. Yeah. And they know it. Um, for, for some of these studies. And I assume, they get, I assume they get permission, but I don't work on that. Okay. Well, we're still waiting to get a copy of yeah. that parental consent form that would involve children. Um, my time has expired, Mr. Chairman. I'll save my other questions for our second round if we're able to Senator get You see what Senator Blackburn just did? Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. She said, I'm focused on children. I'm concerned about children. Answer these questions for me about how Facebook deals with the privacy of children. Didn't go. I mean, she talks about children, but she doesn't go into the big. Oh, uh, let's let's show how much emotion I have. No, she asked the question about data and data gathering. This is where it's at, and that's the stuff that's going to be helpful. And Marsha Blackburn has now shown the committee how to do this. We'll see if they figure the rest out. We'll keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. There is not a single part of me that cares if you take ivermectin. 
But I think it's ridiculous if you tell somebody they're terrible because they want to take ivermectin. And I came across this story over at Fox News, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do with this. Doctors grow frustrated over COVID-19 denial and misinformation. It's a reprint from the Associated Press. I don't even know why they're running it. Neither here nor there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Always so good to be with you. And it's a story of a patient whose health was deteriorating quickly. That's how it's written at a Michigan hospital. The doctor's like, you have COVID. And the patient's like, I'm fine. Well, you're not fine. I'm totally fine. You have low oxygen levels. I can breathe like a thousand men. And he got so upset that the hospital wouldn't let his wife be at his bedside that he threatened to walk out of the building. And the doctor's like, you're welcome to leave, but you'll be dead before you get to your car. Now, do I believe that conversation happened? Not really. Do I believe that plays out just like some kind of TV doctor drama, TV hospital drama? Yes, I do. Do I care if a patient doesn't agree that they're sick and wants to walk out? Do I care what happens to them? I don't. Don't ask me to care. But if a patient comes in and says, I want to take ivermectin, what do you think? That's not misinformation. You got to stop it. And this is why I went nuts, because underneath the headline, it said doctors are aggravated at the constant request to be prescribed the veterinary parasite drug ivermectin. It's not a veterinary parasite drug in toto. It is used for horses and things like that, and it is used on humans. Of course it is. Is it, would it be off-label? For ivermectin to be used on COVID? You better believe it. Does that mean that it's the worst thing in the world? No. If a doctor is okay with it, what's the conversation here? This is very much the pushing of an ideological conversation as opposed to a rational conversation. When you are dealing with a virus that you don't know anything about, throw everything at it. Everything. Every last little detail, throw at it, try it, doesn't matter, see what happens. You want to take hydroxychloroquine? Oh, all right. What's the worst that could happen? Let's see what it does. That's the rational response. That's how normal people act and react. And by the way, I should be clear, normal doctors. Or they could react like this. Now, nah, I haven't seen any good use come of that. Don't even bother. Okay. That is a rational response. I like rational responses. I'm a huge fan of rational responses. There should be more of them. The question before us is, why do we have to get so angry and so hateful of these people who are simply taking a look at what's out there and other doctors who may disagree. What's so wrong about disagreeing? What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Have a rational conversation. The doctors are tired of hearing it. Stop looking at Facebook. No one asked you if you're tired of it. Talk to your patient. That's your job. Let me say this again. To the doctors, to the nurses, to the healthcare professionals. Whoa, 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 whoa. Talk to your patient. I don't prescribe ivermectin. I don't think it's going to work. 
but you're more than welcome to find another doctor who will. That's all it takes. Hand it to them on a sheet of paper. Let them know before they talk to you. You're tired of talking to the patients? With all due respect, and I mean this with all due respect, I don't think doctors should be fired because they don't uh, uh, get vaccinated. I don't think nurses should be fired because they don't get vaccinated. I think they're still heroes. If we were cheering them last year, we should be cheering them this year. But I don't care if you're tired of being asked questions. You get asked questions, answer the question. That's the way it works. Nobody's interested if you're tired of being asked the question. The whole job is to ask you questions. That's why you got all them fancy degrees and thinking knowledge. If we didn't want to ask you questions, we would go only to Facebook and Google. And the last thing you want to do is be competing with Dr. Google. No doctor likes Dr. Google. It's not the end of the world. And what, what do I think of ivermectin? What do I know? I'm not a doctor. Ask your doctor. That makes sense. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today.